This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Best of Shows, Entertainment Weekly's weekly look at the best of television and the rest of television. I'm Darren Franich, TV critic for Entertainment Weekly, joined by my fellow TV critic, the brilliant Kristen Baldwin. Kristen, are you still in mourning on this sad day about the tragic cancellation of trial and error? Have you been, is there anything that I can do? Who can we call <laughs> about this? Is, is CISO still around? Can they pick this show up possibly? Uh, crackle, anyone? Uh, anyone. Anyone. Literally, Bueller, anyone. Um, I'm, I am very sad. I guess it's not that much of a surprise given that it, NBC's option to the re renew the show, uh, you know, expired in the fall. And, it, you know, they obviously didn't renew the show and Warner Brothers tried to shop it. But it is, a, it is such a fun, goofy uh, mockumentary. I do hope people will try to seek it out. There are some episodes on Hulu now, but I do wish the whole thing were available, at least a stream. Um, but yeah, I, I, it, it was a hard day. Yeah. Yesterday, I uh, also saw the cancellation of Channel Zero, which oh. is the, the sci-fi uh, horror anthology that uh, I've become a really big fan of. Uh, tough tough day for shows that we specifically like, Kristen. I, I know. It, 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 it felt like, like a dagger right in our hearts, I think. <laughs> it was. It, was a, it felt personal. But, you know, <laughs> TV, she is a fickle mistress. So uh, I think we, you know, just have to look ahead to the future. Um, and fortunately, there are some interesting shows coming up this week that we can talk about. Um, so our first segment is What's New? And we'll talk about some of the new and notable shows to check out this week. Darren, I know it's only January, but our first show is already my favorite new comedy of the year. Uh, the other two is a showbiz satire slash family comedy premiering January 24th on Comedy Central. It's about two adult siblings, a struggling actor named Carrie and his aimless, unemployed sister, Brooke, who are completely thrown for a loop when their 13-year-old brother becomes a viral music superstar going by the name Chase Dreams, <laughs> which I can't even say it without laughing. The other two is created by former SNL head writers Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, and we'll actually be speaking with them a little later in the podcast about the show. And Darren, what I love about this show is that not only is it really funny as a showbiz satire about sort of the apparatus of instant fame, it's also a really sweet family comedy. Carrie and Brooke are jealous of Chase's success, but they also really love him and are protective of him as he gets thrown into this world of instant fame. You know, the obvious thing would have been to make Chase an entitled brat, you know, but in fact, he's just a sweet kid who happened to get a lucky break and he's just going with the flow. I mean, I know I talked it up a lot to you, Darren, so I hope it didn't disappoint. Uh, you had built this up quite a bit, and uh, you built it up accurately. I thought this was a super fun uh, new TV series. I've watched the first four episodes, and I find they kind of get better and better as mm -hmm. they go. Um, you kind of mentioned something that I think is very 
accurate to my experience, Kristen, which is that it really does get the showbiz satire stuff very well. Uh, there's a character played by Ken Marino, who's <laughs> one of my favorite comedy actors from stuff like Party Down yeah. and the Wet Hot American Summer stuff. Uh, he kind of plays um, Chase's new manager. And he just so accurately, in a very over-the-top way, gets at this kind of character who's such a huckster. And you're kind of yes. like, you know, you would either be selling watches, you know, on the subway. But if this kid is a huge success, you may become the head of your own, like, you know, Fortune 500, you know, Fortune 500 management company. Yes. Just, there, there's something so wonderful about his performance. Molly Shannon's great. But, um, you know, there is this other side of it that you do kind of get this personal story. You were kind of talking about the family aspect of it. I would even say that, you know, Carrie and Brooke, the sort of older siblings and their interactions with Chase, something about that feels very accurate to kind of how, how millennials interact with Generation Z yes. in general. Like, you know, they strangely, they're not old by any means, but they already kind of feel a little out of it compared to what their little brother is going through. And it's literally because he's famous. Yes. But there's a great episode where Chase starts to date another kind of young famous person. And it just... But it, it's it, arranged. It just, it's like yes. an arranged relationship because it'll be good optics. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an arranged relationship, and then just like the way their relationship plays out is all on social media, and it's just <laughs> I, I, I just love that there's great touches like that, um, and then there is the point where Wanda Sykes comes into the show yes. as someone who works for the label, the and that label. one episode where it's almost kind of about like crisis PR, that's one of the funniest things that I've ever seen. I, I really just find the show's already doing so much, you know, so 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 early in its in its life, and what's also really fun about it is, you know, the writers, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, they did some of SNL's uh, best uh, sort of digital shorts, like Do It On My Twin Bed and The Bajancy and some of the other songs like Back Home Ballers. And there are some really funny songs in here. Case uh, Chase's song, he's played by Case Walker, who is a uh, social media star himself. I had to look him up and then I was very uh, sort of traumatized by the shirtless photos because he's a child. But anyway, um, <laughs> he sings these songs called uh, like I Want to Marry You at Recess. He has another one called My Brother's Gay. Uh, he has another which he is his brother played by Drew Tarver, who's fantastic, is gay. And uh, Chase Dreams does a whole song ab about it. They, he has another song called Stink. And like just like those songs on SNL, they're very stupid but they're also catchy and they get stuck in your head and i feel like there's a soundtrack that should be released here wait so did, did they do the one that was about uh, all the women going home to their yes. families yes. Uh, for, during the holiday i think it's called do it on my twin do it bed, on my right? twin bed yeah that is one of the greatest things snl has ever done so i i had not realized that they had worked on that yes. but that makes total sense and i love that wow this 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 method casting of a true life uh, you know young youtube star that really kind of adds to the authenticity of it yeah. oh god that that's fascinating it is and he um he does a really nice job like I actually went and watched some in like not in a pervy way I went and watched some of his Instagram videos where he does little sketches and things like that and I thought oh he's obviously just not acting he's just kind of this dim-witted kid that we see on screen but he's really <laughs> on the other two he's actually doing he's acting he's doing a, a, a persona and it really works for the character of Chase Dreams and as you mentioned Molly Shannon uh, she plays his mother Pat who's from Ohio and she's just super excited to go along you know ride the coattails of her son's uh, you know, sudden fame. And she's not a stage mom by any means. She's just really excited to have something happy happen to her in her life. As you learn about their family history, they've had sort of 
a rough go of it. And so she's just excited to embrace, as she puts it, her year of yes. And so there's really a lot going on on this show that is uh, beyond the sort of just showbiz satire, all that, although that part of it is very, very funny as well. Yeah, and I really just love, I mean, you know, Molly Shannon, what she's doing is very specific where, you know, she is almost kind of playing someone who seems to be becoming a momager yeah. in some ways. But I don't know, it's it's so easy to take that character and make it just such a total farce. And I feel like, as you said, she does find this emotional core. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really just blown away by true by a Drew Tarver as, oh, as Carrie, so as the older brother. He's just incredible. I, I've not seen any of his work before, uh, but I feel like in a lot of ways, there's, uh, you know, you mentioned the episode where Chase, unbeknownst to Carrie, has released a hugely popular song about how his brother is gay, essentially, you know, outing him in, in a way that, you know, he had not been so publicly, so publicly in, 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 front, in front of millions of people out before. And I just found that, I mean, that that episode, you know, Drew Tarver is really carrying the emotional weight of it while also just juggling this totally surreal instant fame yes. um, and just does such a great job. I mean, I, I really, I, I sort of feel like between this and corporate Comedy Central is doing a lot of just awesome newer work right now, and I, I, I just find that yeah, the the human side of the other two is something that I was not expecting because it, it definitely gets that sort of celebrity name dropping. Yes, uh, you know, um, the the entire life cycle of our brand is changed if a real housewife tweets about us kind of aspect <laughs> of, of, of fame, which yes. is which is which which is also hard to do well. That that kind of comedy can also you know turn south pretty quickly. And uh, just to mention. Uh, the actress who plays Brooke, I didn't even recognize her from The Good Fight. It's Helene York. And uh, she uh, plays just sort of this very opinionated and uh, ambitionless young woman who kind of has a real sense of herself. Like she's, she feels like she's doing great, even though she's not. And it takes her brother's uh, little brother's fame to for her to slowly realize that, hey, I haven't really done much with my life and I need to figure out what I'm going to do, in part because she has to take care of her little brother who has been thrown into this situation that is overwhelming for everyone. Uh, and his, his manager, Streeter, played by Ken Marino, is not really uh, an adult you want supervising somebody, nor is his, <laughs> nor is his mother, uh, Pat. You know, she's just kind of... Uh, She's just really enjoying the ride and not necessarily thinking of Chase's best interest. So uh, Brooke, played by Helene York, has to step into that role. And she does a great job, you know, because she's unlikable in t at times, but she's also like somebody you can relate to. Um, and I just I hope that this, you know, I wish the ti the title of the show weren't so generic. Um, I don't think it necessarily conveys uh, you know, what the show is about, but I hope that by, you know, people just talking about it endlessly, like myself, um, will get people to check it out, because it's really, it's really something that uh, is special, and I agree with you that, like, Comedy Central doesn't, you know, they have sort of a hit or miss uh, uh, record with scripted shows, uh, live action scripted shows, and this is one that I think is doing something really interesting. Uh, so the other two premieres January 24th, 10.30 p.m. on Comedy Central. And stay tuned for our interview with Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider later in the podcast. Uh, Kristen, you were just talking about shows with you know, somewhat generic titles. Uh, here's the good news about the other two. Uh, it's when you abbreviate the title, the abbreviation is not STD. Mm. Uh, but that is, in fact, the abbreviated <laughs> no. title of the show we are now going to talk about, Star Trek Discovery, oh, uh, which rough. is the, the fifth spinoff series in the spacefaring Star Trek franchise. Wait, Sixth, it's only five? Count. 
It's it's six if you count the animated series, oh. uh, which of course we have to because the animated series is real wacky uh, and is sure. always worth always w worth checking out. It was it looks like it was made for a dollar, but it's very imaginative. <laughs> um, uh, the, the first season of Star Trek Discovery, uh, which began in 2017, follows the it followed the adventures of Michael Burnham, played by Sonequa Martin Green, aboard the USS Discovery, a special double top secret high tech spaceship. Uh, she is currently serving as the science officer on board. Kristen, a lot of stuff happened in season one. There was a war with the Klingons. There was a brief detour when everyone went to the Mira universe and started swinging swords. And I uh -huh. swear to God, they were all dressed like they were on The Masked Singer, too. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't on purpose because it was a year ago, but it's, it's very noticeable. There was a lot of bling in that Mira universe. Uh, I, I felt pretty so-so about season one of Star Trek Discovery. Um, and the new season kind of seems to be promising a bit of a reset with a new captain, a new sort of grand scale mission, uh, a promised appearance by a major character from Star Trek lore, also a new showrunner behind the scenes. Kristen, that's all background. That's all noise. I I've watched thousands of hours of Star Trek stuff and I care about this junk, but you bravely jumped in to Star <laughs> Trek Discovery uh, with last Thursday's season two premiere. What did you think? Well, I had a lot of questions, Darren, and I'm not going right. to, uh, you know, pretend that they were all like good questions or relevant questions, but I had a lot of questions. So I thought <laughs> I would just run through some of my questions. Please do. And you can you can just answer them to the best of your ability. Um, so my first question is, does Spock have a last name? Uh, that is a great question. Uh, I, I need to very quickly look up my Trekopedia because I think he may have a family name of some well, kind. Well, right, because but... as you as we discussed in, in, in Slack a little bit, like there's a character who I was like, is that Spock? But no, it turns out it's Spock's dad. <laughs> and Spock's dad, I guess, has been on the show before. And then yes. and I didn't realize, and maybe I don't want to say it regarding Spock's, relation, Spock's dad and Spock's relationship to Michael. I don't know if that was new. Anyway, I had a, but then this all took me down to a place of what is their last name. Okay, uh, so what you're referencing there is the fact that Michael Burnham, who's kind of the main character of Discovery, uh, we kind of meet her in season one and discover that, uh, lo and behold, she is the adopted human stepsister of Spock. Uh, I should have mentioned that Discovery is set a few years before the original series, even though it looks way more high-tech yeah. and they have holograms, which they definitely did not have uh, in the original series. Uh, and then, yes, Sarek, uh, who is her father, her stepfather, and Spock father. He's a character with a lot of history that I could uh, go into, uh, which would take about 90 years. But this, this version of the character uh, played by James Frain, I believe, uh, he, he has appeared before uh, somewhat constantly on the show, which uh, it's, it's always kind of weird because it's kind of like, you know, uh, um, uh, Michael Burnham is a grown-up person, and it's not clear why her dad just keeps on popping in to, to check on her. But, right. Uh, but, but yes, uh, and of course, in the first episode, you kind of learn that Spock, who was not in, in last season, uh, is going to be in, in the show this year. And I don't think he has a full name. Uh, what, what I'm finding in my research, Kristen, is that he does have a full name that is unpronounceable to okay, humans. Okay, sure. So, it's like, there, so, so there you go. <laughs> it's like Madison's uh, mermaid name in Splash. You can't really <laughs> exactly. say it, so let's just call or Madison. That's exactly um, how Gene Roddenberry would have wanted you to understand <laughs> it. Yes, perfect. <laughs> okay, so my second question is you mentioned there's a new captain and I believe his name is Pike. Oh yeah. Ask me anything. 
Captain Pike is played by Anson Mount, and I'm just wondering, uh, when you watch him on screen, are you able to look at him and see anyone other than Anson Mount? Because all, <laughs> all I keep thinking is, hey, that's Anson Mount. I, here's, here's my thing with Anson Mount, Kristen, who, who I'm always going to kind of love because he was in the Britney Spears movie Crossroads, sure. uh, a, a truly seminal film from uh, the days of my youth. I, I kind of prefer Anson Mount with his beard from that train show yes. uh, from, from Hell, Hell on, on Wheels. Wheels. Yeah, I, I mean, him, him without the beard, I find kind of hard to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's funny you mentioned him playing Captain Pike. He kind of joins up uh, in the season two premiere as the new captain of the Discovery. Uh, Captain Pike, also a character with a very long history on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly, he was actually the original captain on Star Trek when they filmed the original pilot 50 years ago. Uh, that pilot was not aired specifically because, well, for a lot of reasons, but specifically because the network was like, we don't like Captain Pike. Like, <laughs> get, get rid of him. Sorry, Jeffrey Hunter. Bring in someone who's a Shakespearean actor with a, with a really weird diction, and that's how we get to William Shatner. Um, but so, yeah, I, I I wouldn't say that like the decision to make Pike a main character is something that people have been waiting for for a while, but I'm glad to hear that that, that, that you're into it. This this is good. This sounds like like Anson Mount is a is a plus for you. With, yeah, with, I mean, with regards I, to I I enjoyed him. He gave me. I mean, my only references for Star Trek are you know I've obviously seen the original. I've seen uh, several episodes of Next Generation, and I've I think I've seen one of the movies. The what not like the new movies with Chris Pine, and he uh-huh. sort of seemed to me in the Chris Pine vein of like I'm gonna vaguely be Shatner-esque but not I'm just gonna have some swagger because we all know Shatner has some swagger and hey let's have some fun like literally I think he (laughs) says at the end of the episode like let's have some fun and it was a little like on the nose but you know whatever Uh, I can see that he might have a nice dynamic with Michael because she's a little more um, she's a little more uh, by the book yeah, that I, that's kind of the general vibe I, I think they're going for. I, I think you're wise to kind of pick up on the by the book versus yeah. more of a renegade type of character. They're um, unlikely yeah. partners. Y- yes, yeah, yeah. The, they're the original odd couple. And uh, I, I do think that it's funny you picking up on his line at the end where he says, kind of paraphrasing here, hey, like I know we're going off to do serious missions, but let's have some fun along the way too. <laughs> I, I kind of think, Kristen, I, I do think that that may be sort of a reaction in general to the vibe of last mm-hmm. season, which could be super grim and just there was a lot of neck sna- snapping yeah a lot more neck snapping than i'm used to in my star trek uh which maybe i'm just getting a little old now but i, I wasn't that into so I, I i i suspect that him sort of being this smirkish new captain is part of this this sort of overall series reset <laughs> so it's not quite a poochie situation but it's uh wasn't that homer's character when he became the uh, dog on uh Poochie. Poochie, yeah. Itchy and scratchy. It's not quite poochie where they're trying to pooch it up, but it's more like, hey, let's have some more fun. It's, it's if we're we're recognizing that it was a season one was a little grim, we're gonna inject a little levity. Yes, although now I really want Captain Pike to wear uh, sunglasses and start doing <laughs> skateboarding tricks. If that if that happens, then I'm all the way in You're on, the way on in. Discovery season two. <laughs> so my last question was, uh, and it's more of a statement slash question. Uh, first part is Tignataro. Um, yes. And I was super excited to see her show up toward the end of the first episode. And it kind of made me think generally, like, it seems that all the Star Treks, or at least the ones that I've seen, um, 
are, are shows that recognize that even in space, you know, there are going to be different types of people there. Not everyone's going to look the same or talk the same or think the same or find the same things funny. Um, and it seems like that is continuing with Discovery. And I'm, I wanted to know what your thoughts were on, you know, because sometimes you see space shows and it's like, everyone is kind of a hero robot, you know, or whatever. And yeah. th this seems like, oh, so there's a lady like Tignataro there. And that just seems unusual and also refreshing. And, and her first scene, Kristen, yes. I have to say, <laughs> um, was just so fantastic. You know, the Discovery has kind of found this crashed st Starfleet ship that happens to be on a giant rock that's orbiting a sun that's about to consume it. You know, it's it's a classic Tuesday for yeah. the crew of the Discovery. Um, and they land on this uh, place to try and find what's going on with this crashed ship. What they find is her name is Jet Reno, which is already one of my favorite <laughs> space names ever. Yes. But Tignataro, she kind of just takes over immediately. You find out she's an engineer and she's had to kind of jury rig this whole apparatus to keep some of her fellow officers alive. And there's just this great kind of casualness to her performance yeah. that I love. Um, you know, it, it really kind of conjures up for me something like the performance of uh, DeForest Kelly, who played uh, the great Dr. McCoy yes. in the original show. There's, there's this aspect of Trek that's kind of intangible where you do just get these people who are very good at their jobs and are almost kind of nonchalant about the fact that their jobs happen to be, you know, outer space exploration. Um, and I just love, again, like she really just, you know, you have this thing happening where there's a, you know, space quake happening all around them and they're all about to die. And she's just very relaxed about it. Yeah. I, I, I loved, that just seems to bring such a great energy to the show. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that she gets to stick around for, for quite a while because again, Jet Reno, how do you it, get a better name than that? You really don't. And yeah, she's very, <laughs> Uh, unflappable and just seems like she's going to be able to, she's not even a medical professional, but she's able to keep all these people alive using her engineering. You know, she says, the body's a machine. What's the difference? Yeah, you know, I, like, <laughs> I did. I, I did love that line because I was kind of like, I'd love to know what a what a what a doctor thinks about that line. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, hey, uh, oh yeah, well, like uh, you know, a machine is just a body, you know, like. Uh, yeah. But no, I I I was really into her uh, kind of appearance, and I'm hoping to see more of her. Uh, everybody out there, uh, if you want to watch Star Trek Discovery, got to subscribe to CBS All Access, which you should do anyways, because the Good Fight is, is is coming back pretty soon, and it's uh, so good, and it's so good, and we'll be talking about that a lot on this show. Uh, new episodes of Star Trek Discovery uh, are released on CBS All Access every Thursday. Uh, and now, uh, you know, frankly, Kristen, again, I, I was already kind of intrigued about the new season, but the prospect of Anson Mount doing skateboarding tricks has really got me <laughs> even more intrigued. So well, hopefully, it, they, hopefully they respond to uh, the fans on that one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Let's just start a petition. Uh, so for our third show is something completely different. Uh, Trigger Warning with Killer Mike is currently streaming on Netflix. Killer Mike is a rapper and an activist. I had to look him up. Uh, I am very white, and I did not you know, know who he was, but he's a rapper and an activist, and he's one half of the rap duo Run the Jewels. And in Trigger Warning, he combines social issues with a type of experiential comedy, meaning that he actively tries out new ideas, concepts, theories, all different types of ideas about social change, and he does it while interacting with real people, and that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. Uh, for example, the first episode is all about the black economy, and Killer Mike tries to uh, go for three days using, consuming, buying only items and services that he can get from black-owned businesses. And not surprisingly, it is very hard to do. 
Um, and as I said, I was not familiar with him at all before the show, but I found him really charismatic and a fun personality to watch. And, I, you know, he also had a lot of smart things to say about making social change, and he did it in a way that is surprising and sometimes very funny. And I know you, in particular, were blown away by episode two, which I'll let you talk about a little bit. The second episode of the show is really the one where it all kind of clicked for me. Um, in that episode, the kind of theme of it is this idea of education, and specifically uh, Killer Mike sort of says he feels that schools are failing, they aren't teaching enough, kind of like functional, practical skills. Uh, right. It's sort of like... Uh, like uh, my wife is very big on the idea of like, you know, what do we do if the apocalypse hits and, you know, what can we build and what can we weave? And my response is always like, well, like I'll be able to talk about the television that I watched before the apocalypse. So um, fortunately she's, she's more prepared than I am. Um, but that, that's kind of, he's focused on that. He wants to teach people these practical skills and sort of, you know, raise up in a very serious way, raise up, you know, how do you found a company? How do you kind of, you know, do all this kind of practical stuff. Um, but as part of this educational idea, he sort of follows this very, very Nathan for you like logic where he says, okay, we have to educate people. What do people like to watch where we can kind of slide in some education? Oh, people like to watch pornography. Ipso facto, let's make some educational porn. <laughs> and it's just, I mean, it's, it's very anti-17 in, in, in very, yeah. like, you know, the definition of mature content, but it's just so comical and very specific how that, how they bring in, you know, an educational aspect to this, you know, hardcore pornography. And then there's the final scene of him kind of showing this to a focus group. And I mean, just the way the camera lingers on their faces, it is a little bit of the kind of Borat-y shock comedy. Yeah. But, I, but I guess what I like about the show is that, you know, it's coming from, you know, I'm, I'm mentioning Nathan For You and, and Sacha Baron Cohen. It's coming from all that, but there is this great purpose to it all. And I do find that, like, Killer Mike, you know, whatever sense of humor he's operating from, he's also operating from a really fascinating, rigid logic about, you know how to how how to affect change and how to affect the change that he wants to affect, and then and then in episode three he works with the Crips on making their own soda, which is one of the that is just a, a fabulous, wonderful episode that goes on a real you know journey as far as making you think about yeah like why do we have why do we you know have some outlaws who are heroes but not other outlaws who happen to have you know black skin so I I, I this was a total surprise for yes, me Kristen it was me not too. something that I was seeing coming at all <laughs> and the you know the thing I want to point out about episode two is that you know without giving it all away his his educational porn works like he does an actual test with the people and they learn from the porn even though they're very uncomfortable you know, because it's a group of people, different uh, ages, races, uh, genders, and they all watch the porn together in a conference room, and it's really uncomfortable, but they learn. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I, I do get that there's a little bit, there's a, there is an effort to make it squirmy, but, you know, to that end, his theory does work to a degree. Um, and I thought that the the idea of the Crips, you know, he, he's, he takes a very practical approach to everything. Like, he sees, okay, the hell's the Hells Angels are incorporated. They make money off of their merchandise. So let's make this work for the Crips. And then he always finds the most unlikely people. Like the guy that they, he gets to work with the Crips to design the logo is just this like sort of nerdy white guy who smiles way too much, <laughs> but it like seems genuinely excited to work with the Crips to design a logo. And they end up liking what he comes up with. So, I mean, part of that is, you know, it's always fun when there's that sort of, 
unlikely pairing of personalities, and a lot of that happens in in this show. Um, so I'm definitely interested in seeing more. In the sort of you know diving through the end credits, I noticed that um, you know besides uh, uh, Killer Mike is of course an executive producer of the show, uh, but he's working with a few people who've done some interesting work more for like the Adult Swim shows. Mm. <laughs> uh, one of whom is uh, Vernon Chapman, who I don't know. Have you ever seen the show Wonder Shows in Kristen? That, oh that kind my of God. crazy. What are you that... running from? The truth. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, Wonder Shows it is a show that everyone should watch over and over again at like oh. 3 a.m., um, but was sort of the, the like, it kind of broadly was a spoof on the Sesame Street style, although it got so much crazier it from there. It was so dark. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's working with that. Uh, the other producers, I think, have worked on some other Adult Swim shows. So, like, if you're into that style, it kind of gets there. But I do think that the, the, the real X factor here is that, like, Killer Mike is just such a, like, charismatic and fascinating yes. person. There's a great kind of focus group conversation in episode three where he kind of just comes out and talks to the people being interviewed who are mostly white dudes um, about the Crips. And he just has this great run about how, like, you know, the movie Wall Street was all about the financial oligarchy and people loved Gordon Gecko and Andrew Jackson. And I, I don't know, that's the stuff where I'm like, you know, I could watch this person just talk for 30 minutes yes. and that would be interesting. But it just, seems, it just seems like he's found such a great, you know, engine for working through these different ideas. And so we've only seen the first three episodes, but I'm very excited about uh, streaming the whole show, which is now on Netflix, uh, if anyone wants to check it out. Let's move into the segment called TV Talk, where we talk about TV, specifically about <laughs> some of the biggest news in television. Uh, Kristen, uh, just all I want to do is enjoy the Oscars. Right? That's all. That's all I want to do when it comes to the Academy Awards. I don't even necessarily follow the kind of pregame aspect of the awards as much anymore, though I'm, I, I, I'm fortunate to work with people who are brilliant at following that. Right. But just, I, I, I love the Oscars as an awards show, and every day lately there seems to be something else designed to make me enjoy it way less. Um, <laughs> most recently, uh, our uh, fantastic film reporter, Pia Sinaroy, uh, had a report uh, last week uh, on our website, all about this huge, bizarre tale where uh, SAG-AFTRA, who, uh, of course, is the organization behind the SAG Awards, which are going to be held on January 27th, um, they took the very unique step of releasing a press release um, where essentially they accused the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, who is behind the Oscars, of um, exerting, um, I'll, I'll just quote from it, uh, exerting extraordinary and unwarranted pressure on talent to hold them from appearing at other awards presentations. We've received multiple reports of these activities and have experienced firsthand the Academy's graceless pressure tactics and attempts to control the awards show talent pipeline. Now, what this means basically, Kristen, is... The Academy doesn't want any of the Avengers, let's say, to be uh, on stage at, at the SAG Awards, which happened before the Oscars, on the principle of if people see those celebrities there, it'll be less special when they're at the Oscars and that'll eat into our ratings. And I just think that is the most backwards thinking I've ever heard about, certainly about how people approach these awards shows. I mean, ratings are, of course, down all over the place everywhere, but SAG, the SAG Awards, at their peak, 
only really had like five million viewers, which is which is a great you know rating for you know an an, an awards show that is not the Oscars or the Golden Globes and that's on cable. Um, it doesn't seem like something you'd have to really compete with, and it just it just seems very kind of bullying of the Academy yes. to be doing this. And it's already I, the Academy has already had a rough go of it. You know, obviously uh, they lost their host uh, who resigned and then didn't resign and then resigned and then thought about resigning, whatever. He resigned. And then Ellen came in for and some then, reason. And then Ellen came in and tried to talk him into it and he still resigned, <laughs> Kevin Hart. So, and they've been, you know, sort of, uh, so they had all this turmoil uh, related to that. And I guess I would imagine that this quote unquote intimidation stems from their fear that like, okay, now that we don't have a host, we need to keep the quality of our star power, you know, as high as humanly possible. But it, it's like, what are you talking about? The SAG Awards last year got 2.71 million viewers on TNT and TBS, while the Oscars, yes, it was their lowest rating ever, they got 26.5 million. Yeah. So guess what, Academy? Like, why are you acting like the mafia here? The, you know... <laughs> If just because, you know, people do not tune into the award shows uh, to see the presenters. Like, we don't care uh, about that. I mean, certainly if the Avengers assemble or they reunite some cast, that'll be great. But it's not like they're, it's not like if Tom Hanks shows up on the SAG Awards that people are going to see him on the, they've, and then they hear that he's going to present at the Oscars and they're going to be like, screw that. I don't want to watch now. I already saw that guy. And what's weird about it is that I do think that what the Oscars has going for it this year amidst all the chaos is the mystery. How are they going to handle this without a host? Um, so I think that that's all that matters. You know, people are yeah. going to tune in because they have the curiosity. How are they going to handle this without a host? And so no matter what happens at the SAG Awards, it, it's not going to affect people who are curious about how the Oscars are going to handle it. And it just seems like the Academy is digging and they just keep digging themselves into a deeper and deeper hole. Deeper and deeper, yeah. And it's it's strange, Kristen, because I mean, I I watched last year's Oscars, and I thought it was a very fun show. I mean, you know, I, I do understand that you know metrically it was the lowest rated show in history. Which, when you say it like that, it's like, oh no, we need to change everything. But you know, ratings are down across the board for everyone. Just kind of part of this era that we're in right, right. now. And to to still have you know twenty five, twenty six million viewers is something where you should be. I think thinking about okay, we do have this base of people who have stuck with us even through Netflix and video games yes. and whatever else people are, are are doing with their time right now. You know, what do we do to sort of hold on to those people? And it just seems I, I love your point about the fact that no one's tuning in for the presenters. And and for for that matter, what in recent history makes you think that people will ever get tired of the Avengers or <laughs> will, 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 will ever get tired of celebrities? I mean, or right like, or red know, carpets or any yeah, of it. Red carpets. I mean, I mean, like, yeah, like, like, no one's going to be like, okay, like, you know, I saw, uh, great, I've seen my, my Jeremy Renner presentation for the year, and I'm done with it now. Sorry, Academy. It's just, it's so strange. I will say, Kristen, you just said something that I had not even thought of, which is there may be almost more anticipation yes. around the Oscars now just because of because of all these bizarre kind of own goals they've been scoring. Yes. I, I, I hadn't thought about that, but I, I think you're right. There is that. I, I almost want them to lean more into that. that and just they be like, should. <laughs> they should be like, it's a shit show. Come watch. <laughs> but I mean, like, 
why why isn't that their why isn't that their their goal now? Like if I were ABC, I would be like putting out, you know, just promos that are just like, you know, with empty director's chairs and like <laughs> question marks, like somebody walking through in a Riddler question mark suit. <laughs> What's gonna oh happen? God. And oh my like, God, Kristen! You know who should host? You know who should host? <laughs> who? Mo Monster from the Masked Singer should oh host. Oh my God, totally! You should, or 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 you should, you should have no idea who the host is until the very end of right, the night. Right, exactly. It should He's be just an wearing a mask. <laughs> just wear a mask, and then at the end, like the panel, like the guys from Ernst and Young or whoever, come out and unmask him. <laughs> Oh my God, that would be I, 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 leading into the mystery yes. is something that I, I this is this is a this is a this is a brilliant kind of kind of Kristen Baldwin like <laughs> brainstorm happening live right here on, on Best of Shows. Who but knows? I, but, but but I just I I mean I, it's funny because we're we're having some fun here. I I am always excited about watching the Oscars, and I am excited about watching the Oscars if it's five hours long. Like I mm -hmm. just you know that's that's what I do on Oscars Day each year. And it's just, yeah, I, you know, this, this kind of mafia, except, except dumb mafia, <laughs> you know, tactics that they're taking. It's even more of a bummer because, I mean, as you said, the SAG Awards, they're not as highly rated as the Oscars. But if you like watching that kind of stuff, I mean, it's fun. And, you know, one thing I like about the SAGs is that, you know, you have all these actors getting on stage and like thanking their union. You know, yeah. it's a very, it's a, it, it's a very kind of like, you know, work centric focus of, you know, how these actors kind of, you know, re, you know, literally you get more of a sense of them and their interaction with the sort of acting world around them. And so, yeah, just, you know, leave, leave the SAGs alone if, is and my if message. If you're excited <laughs> to watch the SAGs, more than likely you're going to watch the Oscars no matter what. So just like yeah. calm down, Academy, you know, take a deep breath and, you know, hire the unicorn from The Mass Singer. Yes, yes. Who's definitely Paris Hilton. <laughs> I know, and you're going to call it. You're going to call it. You have called it. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will be talking to Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider, former SNL head writers and creators of the new Comedy Central series, The Other Two. As co-head writers at Saturday Night Live, our next guests were behind some of the show's most memorable digital shorts, including The Bajency, Do It On My Twin Bed, and Back Home Ballers. Now, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider are teaming up for the new Comedy Central series, The Other Two, a sweet and funny showbiz satire about two struggling adult siblings whose little brother suddenly becomes a viral video superstar. The Other Two premieres January 24th at 10.30 p.m. on Comedy Central. So as you know, I love it, and I would love to start by talking to you guys about where did the idea for the other two come from? Well, we <laughs> we were kind of batting around a thousand different ideas, um, and we're very hard on all of them. We were like, oh, what what what, what is enough? What ha what has enough legs? And we. We basically liked two things. We wanted to tell grounded stories um, centered around characters that felt like me and Sarah or like the way we talked to each other that was kind of based on our relationship and our friendship. Um, but then we also, when we were at Saturday Night Live, we really liked writing bigger pop culture sketches. We wrote a lot of music videos with the female cast. We really liked working in that space too. So we mm -hmm. were like, oh, if we tell stories of two siblings and then their little brother becomes super famous, that allows us to kind of have our cake and eat it too. Um, yeah, that was how we, that's how that came about. 
I know. Well, I was going to say, like, a lot of the stuff that we liked writing or we like to write in general is is setting someone up to to be embarrassed or, like, humiliated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were thinking about, like, what, what is a funny backdrop to put up against these two siblings who are still, like, figuring it out. We were, like, the worst thing we can imagine is if their younger brother gets successful by accident. That feels like such an infuriating and fun backdrop to put up against their the stuff they're going through. So it really, yeah. really uh, plays yeah. their sensibility. <laughs> and we also like off of what they were saying, we really like comedy that's like rooted in like, we really wanted to explore like the like things like when you're in your 20s or especially when you're cre- a creative in type in your 20s and you're comparing yourself to other people and you're wondering if you're doing well enough. Uh, you know, you're always comparing yourself to others and we were like who's the worst other to compare yourself to <laughs> <laughs> <a> little brother <laughs> and i think one of the things that makes the show so enjoyable is that chase the little brother um you know he's not a brat he's not a jerk he's just he's a sweet kid who like you said accidentally became a huge viral sensation and you know his siblings as much as they want you know sort of are envious of his success they love him and want to protect him talk about the decision to make to write the character that way because it would have been easy to go in another direction yeah I think that that adds to us the the frustration in that he's not easy to write off he's still their brother they still care about him they love him and they are protective of him and he's not a jerk so it makes the feelings they're having towards him much more like much deeper than just you know top level baseline jealousy it's not it's not so simple and so that's one of the reasons we did that is because we we wanted to be able to dive in a little deeper into the complication of their relationship with him and um and yeah that's why we i'm glad you said that that is why we we kept him nice (laughs) yeah yeah we wanted it to be not just like oh i'm jealous of my little brother but like if he became successful all of a sudden like what does that make now that makes me think about myself. Like, right. what am I doing wrong? Or what does he have that I don't? Or what should I be doing different? Or should I be comparing myself to him? So, yeah. yeah. I know we like, the, we like the, like, painful introspection that they both are, like, we have the exact same genetics. Like, <laughs> this could have so easily could have been, it feels like to them so easily could have been them. Because it, like, is them. <laughs> so we found that very funny and really made us out when we put ourselves into their shoes (laughs) well it's also interesting that they you know they are so uh his siblings are so invested in still being almost of his generation in a way like i love the idea that they both looked up yes we looked it up we're still millennials you know our birthday falls within that uh window it seems as though that's something that real people have done i mean what other and I would guess maybe you guys did. And I'm wondering what, what other sort of similarities are there uh, between Carrie and Brooke, the older siblings, and you guys together? Yeah, well, we joked that, like, at the beginning of the pilot, Carrie is envious of Chase. And Carrie's like, oh, my God, now I'm, like, the, he almost realizes he's, like, the other one to Chase. And now Chase is the main one. But we've joked that Brooke has no idea. Brooke is like, yeah, Chase is famous and I'm a badass. Like, uh, we are both (laughs) killing it. And it takes her a while to realize that that's not quite true. Well, I think that's that's a journey that I I haven't gone on specifically, but I think both Chris and I, you know, as you get a little older, you kind of, you take, there's currency and feeling like you're on top of things and you're, you know, hip or whatever. (laughs) And the more we like dove into this, culture that we had nothing we knew nothing about and they 
this entire generation has created for themselves. And we started feeling like, we felt like Brooke in episode two, where we were like, oh, are we 1,000 years old? Like, we <laughs> thought we were yeah. on top of it. So really. We have no idea. And I do think that that is I mean, we a journey that they must go on. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we felt that so much, even when we were auditioning people to play Chase and when we met Case, whose name is so close, it's yes. crazy. Um, but Case <laughs> would talk to us about his life and, like, uh, when he would go on tour and, like, other people who he considered celebrities. And, he, I mean, he truly would name off the most famous people he could think of in his world, and we did not even know they were alive. <laughs> and by saying we'll name off huge huge pop culture celebrities to him we do it all the time because it makes us laugh we'll name off a very famous person and he'll be like i don't know if i know who that is and it just is insane it's a it's a parallel world and like like sarah said it makes us feel like we're truly a thousand years old but the other the flip side of that is kind of carrie's experience with with that world which is he goes into it being super dismissive of it and thinking you know he is the one who's actually out there doing art he's doing theater that my kid brother is doing like bullshit and in episode five is kind of his turning point where helena is like you're not above all this and that is a little bit it's very easy to write off that entire generation for like making dumb little videos online but it's uh i'm a full convert like converted yeah. person like it's so much more than that and it's so interesting and multifaceted and there's real talent behind it so i think we went on a similar journey as carrie where we kind of like and we wanted to show both you know, perspectives within throughout the show. And um, obviously you guys, you know, were at SNL for years and uh, were co-head writers and you were exposed to a lot of celebrities and their entourages. Did any of your experiences <laughs> from SNL make its way in some way into the show? I don't think anything specific. I think kind of like being in the in that position and seeing people come through the, the main takeaway that we sort of drew inspiration from was the idea that like everyone would come in with a team, like you said, and you kind of realize there's like a machine behind all these, these people and their images are crafted and, you know, they've released this song. Yeah. They're coming on SNL now because they need to be doing whatever, like it, it all feels planned in a way that's very interesting and fascinating to us. And so that, that was definitely and not direct takeaway, but I think in the hindsight, now that we're thinking about it, that's always been fascinating to us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the work behind the scenes. <laughs> we like seeing the work. <laughs> the work, the, how the sausage is made. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things we like to talk to uh, all of our guests about are just sort of their first TV love. So I'm wondering for each of you, what was the first TV show you loved and why? I think the first, TV show that I truly loved was SNL, of course. No, <laughs> but I think mine was mine was Dawson's Creek. Mm -hmm. That was like the first show I remember, like religiously taping. I would tape it on tapes and like look up somehow the names of the episodes and write the episode names on them. I just loved. I loved how complete the world was, and I felt very like a fantasy to watch almost. I loved that show. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have. I wasn't quite into like comedies yet. I wasn't fully formed yet. I really just loved, I loved that world. <laughs> I'm right there with you. My answer, it sounds so gross, was SNL because I truly would, I would, I would watch it live. I would leave high school dances to watch it. I was obsessed with it. I would memorize characters. I would perform it in the lunchroom with my friends <laughs> in high school. It was very bad. Um, <laughs> but 
but I feel too gross saying SNL. So I'm my first love as like an adult when I started to be like, oh, I want to do this. Um, so it's not when I was very young, but with Six Feet Under. And oh. that is my first like in college loving that show. Tonally, I just loved the premise of the show. I just loved all the characters. It was such a full, sad family. Oh, just thinking about the mother Ruth could make me cry right now. Oh, <laughs> um, God. It was it, it was a really good, interesting gay character, which I hadn't seen a lot of at that point. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I just love that show. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those are both great. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was at a party a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking to a group of friends, and I had – I. I had I was maybe a little high, maybe or maybe not, who knows? And I thought I saw Lauren Am I thought I saw Lauren Ambrose who plays Claire. And as I was talking to my friends, I started tearing up because I love her so much. And then they all were like, This is insane to do if it is Lauren Ambrose, but also that is not Lauren Ambrose. <laughs> but that's how much I love the show. <laughs> And lastly, just uh, can you guys tell me, like, what are you, I'm sure you have copious free time to watch television, but, and it can be a current show, an old show. What are you loving right now that you're watching? I think we both probably can't wait for Killing Eve to come back on. That was like, I love everything Phoebe Waller-Bridge does. Like, it is my, it is perfect to me. (laughs) Um, I loved Fleabag, and we both, as soon as Killing Eve came out, we were like, had to watch this, and it was so great. I loved it. That's kind of my canon right now. I love it, too. Yeah. I know. That's my first answer, too. I I just watched that. Uh, Killing Eve is my answer, but I also just watched A Very English Scandal, and I really liked that, too. It's a three-episode series. And that's perfect, right? Perfect amount of time. That is yeah. That's so bite-sized. <laughs> that's excellent. And I think a lot of people sort of first uh, heard about it on the Globes, and so I bet it will get a bump in that way. I know. <laughs> It is it is so rude, but I really liked it, and I, I heard about it from, like, the award stuff, and I looked it up, and it looked good, and it was three episodes, which was the perfect combo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's yeah. I also just finished Succession, because so many people were talking about that. And oh, yeah. A couple episodes of that were, like, masterful TV. I thought they were so well. I thought the last few episodes were amazing. I feel like we're in the midst of a Kieran Culkin assance. Uh, because I, I, do, <laughs> I call Kinnasance. I don't know if that's a thing. That is it is a thing. That's what they call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, thank you so much for taking time. I know you have a busy press day, so I'll let you go. But um, the other two premieres January 24th. 10.30 p.m. on Comedy Central. Check it out. That's going to do it this week for Best of Shows. If you're listening to us on EW's Game of Thrones weekly feed, that show will return in April. But if you like what you hear, and we hope you do, please listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Just search EW's Best of Shows on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and more. On behalf of Darren and myself, have a great week. I should have a catchphrase, but I don't. So bye. <laughs>